unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. Happy Saturday morning. Trying to get you up and moving for another weekend. Are you enjoying this rain or what? I don't know what happened. We went from like negative 20 degrees just a couple weeks ago to the kickoff of February in the 70s and high 60s. Rain. Like the opposite of what we've seen over the past few years across the state of Kansas. I guess I'll take it. (laughs) I didn't get to enjoy my cool weather very long, but by golly, we're here ready to rock and roll. Spring is early. I mean, apparently just as of a day or two ago, we saw the groundhog not see his shadow. So apparently that means we're going to get an early spring. And some people, I'm sure, are giddy and excited about that. Welcome into the program. Boy, do we have a lineup for you today. It's going to be a big show broadcasting out of West Wichita here at the KQAM studios on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM 1480 on the AM dial 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial if you have that smart radio also our friends out in Garden City Kansas and Western Kansas on KIUL you're broadcasting with us here as well as you do every single weekend so wonderful to have you along for the ride today 316-721-8255 316-721-TALK On the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines, we'd love to hear from you today. There is a lot to talk about. We have a lot of things going on in the legislative session that we'll get to between will we have enough votes to override the governor's veto on a tax bill? We have that. We have the bickering about what's going on at the Texas border. Attorney General Chris Kobach has signed a letter to, uh, along with other attorney generals in the nation, and sent them to the Biden administration saying that we stand with the state of Texas with their ongoing battle about the fences that are supposed to be taken down, according to the Supreme Court. And uh, then we have the governor, on the other hand, saying, well, you're not really going to stand with Texas. And you know, we're only going to send National Guardsmen down there if the president orders it to try and fight Texas, not to actually stand with them. So we have the inner bickerings between uh, the uh, governor's office and like the rest of Kansas. Kind of ironic. So we'll get to all that and more on the program. Coming up, hour number two, uh, we have a special guest on the, in studio with us for the entire hour, Chris Clem. He's a retired Border Patrol chief uh, from the agency down there. We've had him on my national program many times with the voice of reason. After I met him last summer when I went down, and if you remember, we went down and toured the border. And when we were down there, I got to meet him, and he was one of the presenters, and he was on the tour with us, and it was a great event with Americans for Prosperity. And it was really cool. So he's actually going to be in town for an event coming up today. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And he'll be in studio with us for the entire hour next hour. So we'll get firsthand experience right here on the program about what's really going on at the border. We'll pick his brain on the immigration bill that's happening and so much more. Speaking of the event today, really excited about it because there's going to be a lot of of guests. If you have not heard about this, it is the Raise the Nation rally. Got to give them a plug with Americans for Prosperity and with Candace Family Voice. A lot of great speakers that are coming up, and there might be some opportunity if you have yet to register for this event to get out there uh, starting at 1 p.m. this afternoon. It's at the Doubletree Hilton Hotel down by the airport, at at, uh, the Eisenhower National Airport. So you might have an opportunity to go and check it out because there are going to be a lot of speakers there, including U.S. Senator Roger Marshall and Congressman Ron Estes along with Chris Clem, the Border Patrol Chief, and so many other great guests from the Heritage Foundation, from Americans for Prosperity, uh, from our legislature even as well with Ty Masterson, Dan Hawkins, 
obviously from both chambers and of course the Candace family voice as well. And to talk about some of that, which I I can't believe that it's been so long since we've had this organization on the program because there's a lot of things going on in the legislature that would be kind of relevant to have them on here. So really excited to have her on. She is the director of policy and engagement for the Candace family voice. It's Brittany Jones with us this morning. Brittany, how are you? Hey, Andy, how's it going? Um, I'm so excited to be on with you guys today and excited about this event today. Yeah, I'm excited. This is a big one. You guys are going to have a lot of people out there because you're going to cover a whole gamut of issues that are topical both nationally and here in the state of Kansas because whether we acknowledge it or not, some of these national issues are uh, impacting us right here in Kansas, aren't they? Absolutely. Like We're we're very excited for this event to bring together um, conservative voices across the state and across the nation on these issues that actually unite us. Yeah. Uh, we firmly believe that conservatives should be united, uh, especially in the times in which we live. And so we want to bring conservatives together to talk about things like the border, like parental rights, like school choice, uh, like uh, this harms that we're seeing kids experience in the public school system and the things that they're being taught. And how do we come together um, to protect our kids, to protect our border, and to protect the values that we all agree on? Do you think that Republicans are united right now and conservatives are united on many of these issues? Are are we seeing kind of the inner bickerings like we see within the Republican Party for oh so many years? Yeah, I mean, I think as always, people are going to have disagreements on, you know, more minute points and on some, you know, strategies and that sort of thing. You know, that's part of human nature. Yeah. Uh, but I truly believe when we get down to the core of the issues, we actually agree on a lot more than we disagree on. And so how do we come together to move our state and our nation forward on the things we agree on? Because there are a lot of them and they they matter. Our culture, our society, our families are counting on us to work together to advance the values that we agree on. Yeah, amen to that. Let's talk about family values for just a moment. I know you work a lot with the legislature up in Topeka during the session and especially on some of these issues. Has that been a focal point this year on uh, some of the family value issues or abortion issues or uh, some of the social programs here in the state? I know that's been a hot topic for a while, but uh, lately, of course, the governor's kind of dominated the dialogue with the border and with the tax issue, vetoing that after she advocated for tax cuts. But that's another conversation. Mm -hmm for another time but the social <laughs> program the social issues where are we this uh, this year in Kansas yeah well and I I want to just remind everybody that the your let your Kansas legislature overrode the governor more than 10 times on pro-family bills last year mm. um, it was a huge year I mean I've been in the legis- I've been working with this legislature for over six years now and that was the first time I had seen that it was just an incredible feat um, how they both chambers came together and including a Democratic member of the House, came together to stand for what matters um, and stand for those core principles that we all know just be common sense, uh, like boys are boys and girls are girls and babies matter and shouldn't be allowed to die just because they were part of abortion procedure. Um, So all of those things happened last year, and that was so exciting to us. Um, we do know that, you know, taxes have kind of been the focal point of this session so far, which, you know, as a person who pays taxes in Kansas, I am firmly in support of. Um, but as an organization, we are still working on, you know, things like ensuring kids are protected online from pornography, working on creating a culture of life in our state. We introduced two bills this last week that will do that, and there should be some more coming this next week. Um, and also making sure that kids are protected from harmful gender transition, either surgeries or pills. Um, and so there's a lot that will be coming in the coming weeks. Um, but it's, you know, we 
we recognize that the legislature has largely been focused on one area, and we're we've kind of been okay with that for now. But I, the pro family issues are coming. Yeah, well, we need to we need to focus on them. Like you said, we had some major victories yes. last year with the women's bill of rights and the transgenders in in, in sports and that sort of issue. That mm-hmm. for some reason we have to define what a boy and girl is in today's society, which <laughs> kind of breaks my brain a little bit to try and wrap my head yep. around. But uh, it, it's wild. But I'm glad we are focusing on it because right now. I got to admit, Kansas is starting to get kind of a bad reputation on that front, being kind mm-hmm. of the central hub for abortions for the Mid-America region. Yeah, I mean, we saw last year, you know, a more than 50 percent rise in abortions in our state, many of those coming from out of state. And it's estimated that we're going to see 20 over 20,000 abortions in Kansas this year, which is more than a 100 percent increase from even last year, which was the biggest rise we'd seen in a decade. Um, so it's just, it's heartbreaking. I mean, I can't even tell you how heartbreaking it is um, to see that many children that we're losing in Kansas uh, to abortion. Um, so, you know, it's up to the pro-life community. It's up to uh, Christians and families to come alongside those mothers to, you know, help them choose life um, and help them you know, whatever way we can. And so we're looking at a couple of bills and uh, there's been a couple that were introduced. One is a pro-family, pro-life tax policy or tax plan that will give tax credits not only to pregnancy resource centers, but create a child tax credit for the first time, uh, work, expand the adoption tax credit, uh, and a couple other things to really help show that the state actually values those lives. We're also looking at a child support bill that will ensure that Babies in the womb are recognized in the child support decrees. And so, you know, just these little things that actually add up in the long run to really show that the state of Kansas actually values these children and values these mothers. Yeah, amen to that. We're talking with Brittany Jones. She is the Director of Policy and Engagement for Kansas Family Voice, which you can find online at KansasFamilyVoice.com. They have their Raise the Nation rally coming up today, uh, along with partnership with Americans for Prosperity as well. A lot of great speakers, a lot of great content like this, talking about what we can do, which the biggest question, Brittany, is it's hard to, and we always talk about it as conservatives, we can't regulate morality through the government, which is Mm -hmm. a very difficult thing to do. And what the other side tries to do is to set uh, set morality boundaries, I guess, through government regulation, and it's difficult to do yeah. that. So how do we create uh, a situation to start bringing the family values back without it being legislated through policy, but through example of families actually just living their life and showing that we can actually yeah. flourish and respond that way? Which is the great big question of this entire movement, right? Yeah. Um, and we really believe that by unleashing Kansans, unleashing families, unleashing the church to be the church, to be a family, um, that that's how you change culture. Um, when you have a government that is promoting harmful ideologies, that's paying for abortions, all those sorts of things, it is difficult for the family to be unleashed, difficult for the church to be unleashed um, when they're attacking and targeting churches. Um, and we've seen all of those things at different at different points from both the Biden administration as well as Laura Kelly's uh, administration in Kansas. And so it, it's my job and our job as Kansas Family Voice to continually push back against um, those encroachments in the family, encroachment in the churches, um, and to help families recognize and step into their role um, as the leaders of our society and the culture shapers in our state. Yeah, I, I love it. We're seeing at the border right now the really constitutional battle between the concept of federal states rights versus federal mm-hmm. rights what's the role of the federal government what's the role of the state government and i think that's coming to fruition which i like the fact that we're actually having that discussion because we haven't had a conversation about federalism in a very long time to relate it to family values like this to relate it to abortion issues social issues 
what can we do or are we able to do things at this level when it comes to maybe executive orders from the federal level on telemedicine abortions, which I know has been a big battle as well, mm-hmm. but protecting some uh, protecting Kansas and other states from some of these federal regulations, allowing these things and kind of isolating ourselves from them. Yeah, I, there's been a lot of movement on that telemedicine debate um, because the Biden administration has tried to force um, states to allow uh, abortions to be mailed into their state from, you know, out of state, other states and from other countries, which is completely insane and makes zero sense, first of all, under the law or under any sort of good medical practice, um, if we're going to call, you know, abortion medicine. Even if you want to claim it's a medicine, it's bad. It's bad medicine. Um, and so we're starting to see organizations and states push back on um, his rulings. There's a, court, there's a couple court cases that are in the works on that particular issue. We've also seen the attorney general uh, push back on some of those uh, executive orders and some of those administrative rulings, uh, which we so appreciate him doing. And we're just so thankful that he's in that office and able to do that. Um, and so, yeah, you're seeing some of that pushback happening. We are, of course, always looking for ways that we can do that in the, through the legislature, making sure that Kansas women, that Kansas, Kansans in general, are protected from the abortion industry and how they prey on women. Yeah, amen to that. There's a lot of there's a big battle, and I love that. You're right; it's just bad medicine all around, all around. However way you look at it, I love it. It is the yes. Raise the Nation rally coming up today. If people still want to go to this, do they still have an opportunity to register? Absolutely. They can register on our website through KansasFamilyVoice.com forward slash events, or you can register at the event. Uh, we should ask that you register so we know who's all going to be there. Um, and so we'd love to see you at 1 p.m. today. It's going to be a great event. I think we're all going to really feel encouraged and revitalized as we work uh, to create a nation where God is honored. Yeah, this is going to be great. And it all starts right here in Kansas, which I love being in the heart of the nation here because this is where it all starts. It's Brittany Jones, the Director of Policy and Engagement for Kansas Family Voice. Come and check out the event. They have uh, a lot of elected officials with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall, Congressman Ron Estes, both uh, state legislators, along with Chris Clem, talking about border issues, the Heritage Foundation, Americans for Prosperity, and, of course, Kansas Family Voice. Brittany, we love it. we got to get you back on here again real soon and get another update from you. Anytime. Thanks, hey, Andy. Hey, appreciate it very much. All right, got to take a break here. 316-721-8255 on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. We'll get your thoughts on this event, plus other things going on in the state of Kansas as well. I'm telling you, man, strap in, buckle up, get ready. 2024 is going to be fun, and Kansas is where it starts. I love being right in the heart of the nation right here making this happen. We'll do some more when we come back. Stay right here on KQAM. minutes past the hour. Welcome back into it. It is Kansas Talk, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Good morning to you. Good Saturday. Getting up and moving. A little bit dreary outside. It's all right. We'll get you up and going. So much to talk about, so much to do, and it's open lines to you at 316-721-8255 on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. I have a last couple opportunities for you to register for the Pick Your Purse promotion with KQAM. Jewelry Savers, Heartland Bicycle will get you registered for that. 
in just a little bit have an opportunity to uh, for you to win one of 10 different coach purses for the Valentine in your life for Valentine's Day. That drawing will be next weekend. More information coming up on that here relatively soon. Good information for Whitney Jones. We appreciate her very much. We'll get her back on the show for some more legislative updates uh, going on as the session rolls on. As of right now, it still has been all focus and all hands on deck on the tax bill, which now the focus is, can we override the governor's veto? Still blows my mind that we had the governor advocate for tax cuts. We gave her a tax cut bill, and then she vetoes it because she didn't want that many tax cuts. Is that what a moderate is? <laughs> I'm curious. I always ask the question on the program, what, what is a moderate? What is a moderate to you? I'm a, I'm a moderate. I'm an independent moderate. I don't know what that means. And I've never had really a good description of it. I like in between the two things. Okay, so... Uh, Republicans that want less taxes and the Democrats that want more taxes than as a moderate that wants to be in the middle, then you say that the taxes are right, right, or they are. I mean, is that what that means? Is just I'm just complacent. I don't really have an opinion. I just whatever things are right now, I'm just good with because I don't want it to change or I don't want it to. I don't understand what moderatism is, but according to the political standards of today and what the, what definitions really are out there then governor kelly would i can't, <laughs> i can't say it. i almost tried to i can't say it. the governor kelly's almost a moderate <laughs> that's hilarious i mean she is starting her middle of the road pact which be ready and be warned as we go into election season this year her middle of the road pact is raising a buttload of money and they're going to be sinking a buttload of money into certain races across the nation or across the state of kansas to knock out conservative legislators at the statewide level with quote-unquote moderate candidates. And what those moderate candidates are are the ones that may have an R in front of their name, recognizing that you can't win with a D in front of your name, but you still vote predominantly with Democrats, but you still have that R in front of your name so you can at least just win over with the people and just say that you're a Republican. And I would like to remind you that we have to be very careful of that philosophy because that's the philosophy that did not allow us to override the governor's veto on the tax bill last year with people that said they had an R in front of their name but weren't really the true Republicans. Which, speaking of, I don't know if you saw the news earlier this week, there is a legislator that is on the way out. Carolyn McGinn, state senator, my state senator, on the way out. And I have my theories why. She's officially announced that she will be retiring after this year, will not be running for re-election, which is quite ironic at the time when, again, my state representative up in District Number 74 in the Newton area, Stephen Owens, has announced that he is running for that seat and challenging her in a primary, and he is coming in full force. He is strong. He is one heck of a candidate. I am so excited to have him in that Senate seat. And I already knew he was going to beat Carolyn McGinn in this race, and I have an inkling that she knew that as well. She burned a lot of bridges last year when she fought against the tax bill, when she didn't vote for it, and she was one of the, well, two, really, that fought against the tax bill. And I believe she came on board finally at the end, but, yeah, it was a fight to get her there all the way. She came, she came in and voted for it, kicking and screaming, trying to salvage her political career, and it didn't quite happen, and we saw right through it. So she's on the way out, officially retiring uh, from the state legislature and Stephen Owens, it will be jumping in. Now, I don't know if anybody else will be jumping in that race for the Senate seat as well. I highly recommend, just from pure speculation, I recommend people don't try and jump in that race against him because that is going to be uh, a – he's a strong campaigner. He knows how to campaign. He's very well liked in the area, and I don't think that he's going to have much of a competition uh, in there. He's still going to campaign hard, obviously, if someone does try to jump in that race, but I don't think it's going to go very far for sure. But uh, Carolyn McGinn, we have to give her the proper farewell on the program like we do everybody else. Bye, bye, bye.
as she officially announces her retirement and walks out of the state legislature after this year. That being said, there are a lot of great conservative seats in this state that the middle of the road pact from Governor Kelly will be focusing on, and they will be sinking a lot of money into those races. So as the Republicans that you are, those due diligent conservative Republicans that you are and that you fight for in our legislature, be wary of who's running for seats because they could be funded by that middle-of-the-road pact by Governor Kelly, meaning we're going to knock off the conservatives, make the legislature more moderate, and then get even less things done as we go into a session next year. Let's not allow that to happen. What do you say? I'm, I'm okay with not allowing that to happen. We'll talk some more about that when we come back around the corner, plus your phone calls. We have the border issue. We have the Republican convention that happened last week, what happened there, and so much more to talk about. Plus, we'll get you registered for your KQAM Pick a Purse promotion to win a coach purse for Valentine's Day. I'm okay with that as well. Happy Saturday morning. It's Candace Talk right here at Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Yes, it is. Welcome back into it. Happy Saturday. It is Kansas Talk, Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. So wonderful to have you with us. Also, our friends out in Garden City, KIUL as well. 1240 on that AM dial, 1480 here in the city of Wichita. Welcome into it. 316-721-8255 on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. If you want to jump on the program, you are more than welcome to let us know your thoughts this morning. Also want to tell you about my friends over at Napoleon Appliance Repair. Great partners with us here on KQIM and on Kansas Talk. We always love chatting about them. They helped us out big, big time. I'm talking bigly here. During the holidays, we had our dishwasher go out, and they were able to get that back up and going. I told you. Did I not say during the holidays that you need to do some preventative maintenance and make sure that things were going smooth so that way all the family get-togethers and all the holiday stuff and the mass cooking, you talk about the stove and you talk about the refrigerator and talk about the microwave. Well, guess what? The after-cleansing things as well, like the dishwasher, is kind of an important piece of that utility appliance that needs to keep working or else the dishes kind of pile up a little bit. And yeah, I guess you could wash them by hand, but yeah, why'd you do that? Although I do have a nine-year-old daughter, and, you know, they, they got to be there for something. Got to do some kind of chores, right? <laughs> so, uh, Napoleon Appliance Repair, they were able to get us back up and going. We appreciate them so much, and they do amazing work. Voted a best of two years in a row in the city of Wichita for appliance repair in the south-central Kansas area. Give them a call at 316-409-1525, 316-409-1525, or you can find them on Facebook at Napoleon Appliance Repair, LLC. You can follow them, see all the great stuff that they are that they have going on. And the fact that they're busy means that they're good. And if you need some help, they will get out to you and see you and get you all taken care of with any of the appliances that you may have, either the old school stuff or the new computerized things that tell you that you're out of broccoli in your refrigerator. That kind of creeps me out, got to be honest. Napoleon Appliance Repair, we appreciate them and love them to death and very much. And to stand it up for those, speaking of family values, they rock that with Napoleon Appliance Repair. Go and check them out. Today, all right, three one six seven two one eight two five five. Things going on in the legislature, which we are getting closer. March is our uh, preference primary, our presidential preference primary, our primary in the state of Kansas, and for the first time since the nineties, when we actually had an actual primary. Now, just as a reminder, the difference between caucus and primary. 
is that the primary is run by the Secretary of State like any other election. A caucus would be done by the actual parties themselves for them to uh, actually hold the election. So the, the party would fund it for their side, the Republican side, the Democrat side. They would actually fund these elections. The primary this year will not be done that way. Why? Well, there's a few different reasons, but largely because the Republican Party at the state level does not have the funds in order to do it, which can be a point of conversation again after the GOP convention that we had last uh, last week and the votes that we had on uh, leadership and whether minorities are going to be allowed to be on the committees for whatever reason, because that's just ridiculously stupid, and the Republican platform for the state party as well, and so on and so forth. We'll get into some of those details a little bit later. We'll probably have someone on that was at the convention to give us an update on exactly what happened and how those conversations went down, because they were anticipating some pretty heated conversation on those. Nonetheless, our chairman of the state Republican Party, which... I got. I'm. I'm going to reach out, and we'll see if we can't get him on the program. I've heard that if you speak negatively, then he may not come on. So I don't know. We'll see. And I'm not trying to speak negatively. I'm just observing from that thirty thousand foot view on the state of the Republican Party right now, which I'm got to be honest, I'm a little disappointed about. With how big these elections are in 2024, I am somewhat disappointed on how the Republican Party has handled some issues. I'm disappointed on the state of our financial situation because obviously if we can't even hold our caucus this year, then that means that we are in a world of hurt going into election season. When we have Governor Kelly that has a middle-of-the-road pact that she's trying to promote to get rid of conservatives, when we have the Democrats that are trying to focus money on certain races just to knock a few pegs down, just knock us down from our supermajority in the state legislature, then we have some serious problems. And I think we need to be aware of them. So it really comes down to you, the voter, that makes the choice and actually how active you are. Are you going to be a precinct committee person? Are you going to be part of the county Republican Party or your state Republican Party? Are you going to be an advocate with organizations like Candace Family Voice or like Americans for Prosperity? Are you going to do some door knocking or make some phone calls? How active will you be to be part of that? Because Republicans, at least we used to be, and I think we still are, I'm the eternal optimist here, we used to be really good at grassroots campaigning. We used to be really good. Democrats used to be terrible. They'd throw some money at it, they'd run some ads, they'd do their thing, and they didn't have the manpower, so they would just kind of do it their own way. They'd spend some money, they'd run the ads, and just be done. And Republicans, we used to, at least at the local levels, used to be fantastic at being able to campaign, knock on the doors, talk to people, do the grassroots campaigning, get the voice out on the streets and get people engaged to go and vote. They like to register just random people just to say that they're getting more registrations up. We like to actually get, you know, solid registrations and actually get people active to go and make their voice heard in the election booth. That being said, the elections look a little bit different this year. And we sat down last week with Cedric County Commissioner Jim Howell, who had talked about the expense for this election, where it's going to be roughly five to seven million dollars from the state. And that's just one election. We essentially have three elections this year. We have the presidential preference primary that's coming up in March, March 19th, I believe, or 21st, I don't remember. Then we have the primary that's in August for those districts that actually have primaries within their own party. I can name a few of them right now. And then we have the general election in May. So we have three elections this year that you have to get voted for. So don't miss one. (laughs) Don't miss one because this is going to be Big for sure, which really means that uh, we're going to have a lot of voting to do, uh, especially when they encourage us not to do so. If you remember, the during the New Hampshire primary just a couple weeks ago, 
uh, for the president. There were some bot calls that were going on from Joe Biden. And I say Joe Biden in air quotes. It wasn't really Joe Biden. It was an automated thing that was using his voice, one of those AI-generated deals that was advocating people not to vote in the primary, that you're wasting your vote. You're wasting your vote and missing the opportunity. Just go and vote in November for Joe Biden. Don't vote in the primary because that just solidifies the vote for Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. Don't go and vote in those primaries. Now, I don't know how much of a primary we're really going to have here in the state of Kansas just because of the fact that Donald Trump's been running away with it so strongly. Nikki Haley, which I have to admit, and I'll kind of mention this on the syndicated show this uh, later on this weekend, that she's actually starting to run an interesting campaign trying to build. I don't think it's going to build enough numbers for her to win, but it is interesting to watch her do what she's doing right now by kind of claiming that it's the two grumpy old men that are running for office and how people don't want the two grumpy old men. I mean, she, she's got a lot of fun that she could have with that kind of campaign. With If you ever watch the movie Grumpy Old Men and Grumpier Old Men, those are fun. She could have some fun with those just from the campaign standpoint. I don't Again, I don't know if it's going to do any good for Republican voters that are supporting Trump, but it's an interesting campaign tactic, and I think it could at least generate some activity, some conversation. I don't know. But here in Kansas, we're going into March when essentially, not lumping it in already, but essentially the Republican primary is almost over. Let's be honest. It's pretty much done here across the nation, Is especially if Donald Trump wins in South Carolina at the end of this month, which he's up right now like 13 points over her in her own state. We have the Nevada primary and caucus that's coming up uh, this coming up week, but nobody's talking about that one for some reason. And that one's kind of strange because that one is actually a primary and a caucus. They're doing two of them. And we'll explain that later on on why they're actually making that happen. But uh, here in Kansas, we have some big votes and some uh, the question is, I guess, for you is for the primaries. Do you feel comfortable in the way the voting system set up, which I know has been the conversation since 2020 on voter fraud or mail in voting or voting in person? According to the legislature, they are working on some bills right now, according to KSNT News, that House Bill 2512 would require advanced ballots. This would be for the preference primary coming up here soon and for the general election. The bill would require advanced ballots that are cast in person to arrive at your county election office by 7 p.m. on Sunday before the election day, as opposed to voting early all the way through Monday. According to State Representative Pat Proctor, which we had on the program just a couple weeks ago, said, quote, I heard of a lot of election officers say it's very difficult for them to stop early voting at noon and get all the electronic poll books reset in time to get stuff out to polling places, especially when you're a two-man band or a one-man band in certain communities. So no more early voting on Monday Leading up to, you would have the early voting, advanced early voting, all the way up till Sunday. Monday would be off, and then we would be able to move forward for the election on Tuesday. Just a few tweaks, few changes. It would also shorten the amount of time that you could actually do early voting. Just the little tweaks. Now, I've said before that I think overall our electoral process here in the state of Kansas is relatively good. I like our electoral process in Kansas. In fact, uh, again, after the 2020 election, when Georgia did their overhaul on their election system, that they essentially based their new laws and their system off of what we do here in Kansas, which we should be very proud of. Now, does that mean that it's perfect? No. Do we need to tweak some things? Obviously, yeah. I want zero voter fraud. And even if they're like, Andy, Chris Kobach went after that investigation and found like two cases. All right, cool. I don't want two cases. I don't want two. I don't want any. I want to make sure that we are the perfect electoral system, which is an ongoing battle, obviously. 
But I want us to be the example for the rest of the nation to base all of their electoral processes off of, especially with the immigration issue right now, which we'll get to in hour number two. It's a fascinating conversation. And we start pushing for new individuals to be on the voter rolls. We need to make sure that things are done legitimately and are going to be done right. Because we all know the subliminal message and the whole agenda of what the other side of the aisle has when they push some type of voter issue. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to jump on here, they are working on some of these bills. They have not gone uh, anywhere as of yet. They're still sitting in the election committee as of Thursday, Friday this week. So we still have some work to do, but they are working on where an advanced balloting would be done. Also, they're working on another bill, uh, Senate Bill 366, that would talk about mail-in ballots with local election officers to where we you wouldn't get an, an automatic one, but you'd actually have to request a mail-in ballot. Vastly different from some other states like Nevada, where they're doing a primary and a caucus, where Nevada actually is going straight all mail-in ballot for their presidential primary this coming week. Why? I don't know. That's from the Democrat governor out there. And I'm wondering if they're just like, oh, that's, we don't want another pandemic. We're just going to do a just straight mail-in voter primary issue in the state. That's why the Republican Party is doing a caucus a couple days afterwards as well. So they have two elections they have to deal with on their end as well. Interesting. It's all the elections, and now everybody's got an opinion on how elections should be done in the most uh, non-corrupt way. And here in Kansas, at least we have our uh, ways to validate. If you do have a drop box or if you have a mail-in, we actually validate those to where we make sure that it's your signature, that it's actually sealed, that we don't have just mass amount of people collecting a whole bunch of drop-offs and just dropping them in there. So we have secure ways to validate and make sure that our elections are relatively smooth. Do we have some issues? Obviously. And we'll continue to fine-tune that system. Got to take a break. We'll wrap up hour number one. When we come back in hour number two, really happy to have a special guest in studio with us. Met him down at the border last year, and he's in town to speak at the event again coming up here today. We had to get him in studio. Great guy, Chris Clem. We'll have him on the program coming up in hour number two right around the corner. Until then, your phone calls as well. It's Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Now you shouldn't be scared. I'm good at repairs. And I'm under each snare. Intangible. Bet you didn't think so. I command you to. Panoramic view. Talking again with the AARP, whether it's the Fraud Watch Network, Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Make sure to check them out online, aarp.org slash ks for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. Happy to have Glenda back on the line today. Glenda, how are you? I am doing well today, Andy. How are you? Doing good. Always good to chat with you. A lot of things going on, obviously, for the new part of the year, which I'm excited about. But let's talk about some more scams in the Fraud Watch Network and ways that people are trying to steal your information or your money. And one of those big ones, obviously, is being on the computer, being on the interweb in some way. And tech scams always seem to be a big one where you get a message and says that you need to call the service or that they're there to get into your computer to make sure that there's no malware or or any type of scams or any type of spam on your computer that could cause an issue while they're the ones getting your information. information. And I tell you, this is interesting because it happened to someone I know just most recently. So, yes, wow. <laughs> it's real. As you know, that these are really very scary types of viruses. And so when they talk about computer viruses, so the um, tech support scammers exploit the fear that you have, claiming that your computer or your mobile device is dangerously ill and needs an immediate costly cure. 
So these scams start with an unsolicited phone call or, as you mentioned, a pop-up warning on your device claiming to be from a, one of the um, one of the companies like Microsoft or Norton that so you trust that. But really what they're doing, their goal is to persuade you to allow them to remotely connect to your device. And that's what we really need to be aware of so they can find something that's terrible happening and be able to help you. Mm. That, how scary. Now, if they do remotely connect into your computer, then what usually happens? Is that when they lock things out and say that you can't get your information back until you pay some amount of money? Yes. So what, what they're really trying to do, uh, they're wanting to uh, involve installing malware or really, like you said, harvest personal information and logins and convincing you to pay them for expensive repairs. And that's where the, um, you know, the funding comes up, the expended uh, expensive repairs and funding. So they're both fake. So the bottom line is the urgent call or the pop-up message, as we said, is a sham. So either, you know, you don't answer the phone or then what you also do is to shut down your computer and do a hard shutdown where that you, you get rid of any con- connections that this, that's there. Yeah. How scary. Now, if they do have access one time, do they have access f- to it again, even after you do that reboot? Or uh, are once they're kicked out, then they don't have any more access? You know, it's our understanding that uh, keeping that once you do that, um, you know, you're connected from them. But what you do need to do is to be sure that you keep your operating systems and your security software up to date so that it will help to keep them uh, away and being able to to get into your um, to your computer. That's really just being a fraud fighter. Right. And being able to spot a scam and stop a scam. How scary. It's very scary when they try to get this information. And uh, you always scare me every time we talk about things online because I, <laughs> I get more and more afraid to even go on to a computer nowadays. We do. We do. We do. But, you know, if that happens to you, and we hope it, it doesn't, but it can, you know, the Fraud Watch Network is a free resource for everyone. So we really want them to, if it happens, to reach out to our Fraud Watch Network uh, at AARP.org or call the number if it happens, which is 877 908 Three three six zero, and we're always there, you know, to to help you. Yeah, always there. Great information. We got about a minute left here, Glenda. But talk about what else is going on with the AARP now that we're apparently in springtime with seventy degree temperatures this week. That uh, you know yes. we can actually get outside again. <laughs> you can get outside again. Get outside and enjoy the sunshine, and uh, be able to actually do some walking and and really keep yourself fit as much as possible. And we have virtual online events also. For the evening. Virtual events online when you get back inside and get to enjoy. Uh, so many great things. Go check them out. AARP.org slash KS for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on these social media as well. Glenda, we appreciate it as always every single week. Let's chat with you again next week. Thank you. Take care. That again was the AARP. Appreciate them joining us as always with their updates with the Fraud Watch Network, some of the scams and frauds that are going on right now. All right. Opportunity for you. 316-721-8255 for you to be able to get registered to pick your purse. Valentine's Day, obviously, right around the corner. And now you have a chance to win a couple coach purses with KQAM and Jewelry Savers and Heartland Bicycle. Get registered right now, 316-721-8255. And if you're one of the lucky few, you can win one of 10 different coach purses. I'm okay with a coach purse for Mrs. Voice of Reason. Uh, Win it for yourself or, guys, maybe that special someone for that time of year, that special Valentine in your life if maybe you're a little behind the ball on actually getting registered we're getting that gift for that someone. 
You can also stop by our partners over at Jewel Receivers and Heartland Bicycle and get registered there as well. But let's do it right now with caller number two. We'll do caller number two at 316 3167218255, 316-721-TALK, and get you registered for that. The drawing will be next Saturday, February 10th, at Jewel Receivers. We'll have more information on that later on whether you qualify to be one of those 10 finalists to get there and pick out your purse with Heartland Bicycle. So we'll do that right now, 316-721-8255 on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. The phones are lighting up. We'll get you registered right here. When we come back, right around the corner, we're going to shift gears, talk about some immigration, talk about border issues. Where does Kansas stand on all this? And the event coming up later on today with where you can learn some more about some of that information. It's Kansas Talk right here, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Stay here. Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. Hour number two of Kansas Talk right here. Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM, 1480 on the AM side, 99.7 HD4 on the FM side. If you have that smart radio, you can pick us up, 99.7 on HD4. Plus our friends out in Garden City, Kansas, 1240 KIUL as well. We're literally covering the entire southern half of Kansas. Plus all of our uh, live streamers, which you can find on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 1480KQAM. Our podcast listeners as well. We have a lot of those, obviously, all over the state of Kansas. Up in Shawnee, Johnson Counties, Kansas City area, I know you're listening, elected officials, because you do, and I get your responses on the things we talk about on this program. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. Man, rolling through the morning, we got a lot to talk about of uh, legislative issues. We'll get to that here in just a moment, but I don't want to waste any time. I'm so excited to have this guy in studio with us. As you know, we talked about it in hour number one, the Raise the Nation rally coming up today. It's coming up at the Doubletree Hilton Hotel near the airport with uh, Candace Family Values, Americans for Prosperity, partnering up for this one, talking about major issues going on from the nation, relating them here to the state of Kansas and what we can do with a lot of great guests. U.S. Senator Roger Marshall going to be there, Congressman Ron Estes, our congressman here in the 4th District, the Heritage Foundation, uh, elected officials in our state legislature with State uh, Senate President Ty Masterson, House Speaker Dan Hawkins, obviously Candace Family Voice, Americans for Prosperity, and others, including this guy. So I met him when we were down just last year with Americans for Prosperity, down doing the tour at the southern border, which was an eye-opener for me and my first time that I had been able to go down there. And it really reinforced the idea that things are way complicated down there for sure. But uh, as we were going down, uh, this individual was down and giving us part of the tour, speaking to us at the event as well. So uh, when he was coming up to this event here in Wichita, we had to get him in studio. And we're twinsies. That's right. We're twinsies. That's a, if you're watching the video stream, you can see kind of rocking the same do, man. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Letting it grow out. After. Letting it grow out. That's right. He is a retired 
Chief Border Patrol Agent, Mr. Chris Clement, studio. What's going on, brother? Good hey, to see you. Good to be here. I'm, I'm really excited about being in studio. And for your listeners and for those that may be watching, for 27 and a half years, I had a high and tight flat top <laughs> that I maintained weekly. And, You're letting it go, and, man. And I, and I shaved every day, not even a mustache. And um, when I retired a year ago, so just over a year now, I said, I'm going to let this hair grow out. I I'm going to grow the beard. Uh, Arizona summer, I thought, would, would put me back to keeping everything uh, cut, or my <laughs> wife, but she kind of liked it. Said, hey, I kind of like this hot Santa look you got going on. Oh, so there you so go. I'm there like, all go. right, that's fine. Honey. But uh, yeah, no, but I also was inspired by your hair. So I, 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 you know, there we go. So yeah. There we're, it is. We're twins today. It's I awesome. love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, welcome to Wichita. Thank you. It's, I know you're all over the place. You speak at a lot of different events, and obviously you've had a lot of experience at the border. You've been on my national program a few times for the right. weekend uh, since I met you down down there at the border. For those that don't know or may not heard you, talk about your experience and where you were stationed for the border issues. Yeah, no, thank you. I think it's important to start there. I began in 1995 as a, I was a career border patrol agent. came in as a GS-5 trainee, and I was assigned to Lordsburg, New Mexico. Now, I, I'm from New Orleans and grew up in Houston. Okay. All right. I had almost 3,000, close to 3,500 people in my high school when I graduated. I went to a town that, had, that the county had less than 3,500 people. So it was a culture shock, but I fell in love with the, uh, the job as a Border Patrol agent, moved around, promoted up into different positions. So I worked in New Mexico, West Texas, uh, back in Arizona, Washington, D.C., um, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, back to Arizona, and then... The last uh, two two plus years of my career, I was the chief patrol agent of the Yuma sector, which during 2021-22 was ground zero yeah. for the immigration and border security crisis. And uh, yeah, I've seen an evolution um, from administrations. Uh, again, I came under Clinton, worked under Clinton, Bush, Obama, uh, Trump, and Biden, and um, and every every administration had taken actions to secure our border. Working some immigration things, but really focused on infrastructure and technology to secure the border until we got into this administration. And uh, at that point, I had been in 25 years. We had probably the strongest and most secure border based on the requirements of border patrol agents. Um, and it was all taken away. And I, and I think it's it's important to note that, you know, when I say secure border, the requirements, that's what our agents needed. That's not what some bureaucrat up in Washington said, oh, you need to do this. I mean, they tried, right. but we put forth, that was my job as a chief and my job as a station commander. What is it that my agents need to do their job? And we put that up in a package and everybody leaned forward on it. And we were we were making huge progress under uh, the Trump administration. And then when uh, President Biden, who campaigned on undoing things, <laughs> um, we expected a little bit of a hit, you know, when there's a transition of administrations, but not... Not what we what we experienced, and I can talk about some numbers here in a minute. It's a whole other level, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, the numbers that I've heard was this last month of December near, what was it? Uh, 302,000. 302,000, almost 2.5 for the year of 2023 alone, correct? Right, right. yeah. So let's let's talk about that. We'll go back to how far my memory can... Uh, uh, 2019, we had about 905,000 arrests on the southwest border. Well, the whole border, the northern border was, was contributed to that number, but they, they don't... They don't have the numbers like the Southwest, but just over 900,000 arrests. We started built the wall, started the implementation of and, and the, the all the things that we'd asked for, plus the policies like the migrant protection protocol remain in Mexico, if you will. Some other initiatives we have that got that started rolling out in 19 in 2020. Mm. Our apprehensions went to 405,000. So it was an over 50 percent reduction. Wow. In 2021, federal fiscal year, it went up to one point six six million. 
In 2022, it went up to 2.2 million. We exceeded 2.4 million in 23. And I know at least um, for December, we had 302,000. And I think the numbers for January was just over 176,000. So that December, the highest month ever. January, the highest January ever. Wow. So again, that, you know, opinion aside, those numbers tell the story. The administrations and, and their priorities shifted. And we're seeing it in... People all over the country are seeing it. We're seeing these numbers. Now, for those here, let's say in Kansas, obviously we're not a border state, although it looks like we're going to be here soon with the way things are going. What does this mean for us here in the middle middle of the country, in the state of Kansas? What does this mean not only for the busing of migrants into certain areas, and we're seeing the strain on the social programs, we're seeing people booted out of YMCAs and everything in New York and Chicago and all these other places, but when it comes to cartels, when it comes to the violence and human trafficking and fentanyl, Obviously, you dealt with that stuff firsthand on the border, trying to stop that stuff. What are some of those? What are the experiences that you had that other non-border states and areas might experience now? Well, it's not just a, a, a hashtag or a, or a, a talking point. It's the reality that without border security, every town's a border town. Every state becomes a border state, and we're seeing that. Um, I'm probably get some of the interstates wrong, but Interstate 35 runs right up the gut. Yep, you know, straight out of Laredo, Texas, all the way up into Kansas and beyond. Uh, that's a smuggling corridor. That's a trafficking corridor. Mm. So when we don't secure that border and people can make it to you know that first that first leg city like a San Antonio or a Dallas and regroup, they're he- they're heading up to places like Kansas. Um, when when we get overwhelmed, when I say we, when the border patrol gets overwhelmed with mass give ups, if you will, hundreds at a time showing up in, in gaps in the wall, that diverts all their resources, and that's intentional by the cartels. Because if you only have a handful of agents patrolling 100 miles of border, they have to go to that group of 200 or 300. That leaves all that vulnerable. And that's where the criminal aliens, that's where the drug smugglers, that's where the potential terrorists. And all of that, you know, are, are the ends up being the gotaways that yeah. show up in your neighborhood. We, we see the fentanyl crisis, in, you know, uh, 300 a day across the nation. We're hearing some kind of opioid overdose. overdose directly and indirectly related to fentanyl. Yeah. Um, so th- again, when you have an unsecure border or a less than uh, you know uh, adequate security uh, apparatus, it is creating vulnerabilities and that's showing up. And like you mentioned, the, the impacts to the social services because those, those monies are set aside by we the people to take care of we the people. And then I get it, we wanna help people, but when we're already struggling yeah. And there's already strain on food uh, <laughs> shelters and all that. And you drop in another couple hundred, you know, migrants in there and you want to take care of them. I mean, it's it good. The camel's back. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It makes you feel good. But when it hasn't stopped for three plus years, let me, before we change subjects or, or, or another question here, let me put this in a little bit of perspective. Last fiscal year, the Border Patrol caught and released 900,000 people, which meant we caught them, we processed, there was no room at the end, they were released to a non-government organization. (laughs) The ports did that to 500,000. That's 1.4 million people. They were released. Now, they don't release them directly to the streets. They go to a non-government organization. Now, hear hear me out. I was spending close to $500,000 a day to maintain a soft-sided processing uh, facility when I was chief in Yuma. That was the the actual structure, the wraparound service, the food, the medical, the laundry, the 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 caretakers for the children. 
And there were six other Southwest border sectors that were spinning close to the same. So we we're paying for it on the front end. Right. The non-government organizations are getting reimbursed by DHS FEMA for dollar for dollar. So whatever they spend to help the migrants go to their next stop, they're spending. And now you have major sanctuary cities to include some governors saying the $1.4 billion that the president proposed to go to sanctuary cities and states, that's not enough. We need $5 billion. So in theory, we could be playing, paying for a large chunk of these migrants three times. Wow. What are we paying for our own food and gas and everything else? I mean, so this really is, is become a it's not a victimless crime. It hits you. We're seeing what's happening on the streets in New York. It's hitting us in our pocketbook. But yet a couple of years ago, we didn't have enough. We didn't have the five billion dollars it was to build the wall. Right. Right. So and again, the wall, we'll talk about that is, is a lot more than just the steel. Just an actual wall. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. The financial burden for this is astronomical. Like you said, not only for the processing, for what you guys do. And then essentially, I don't understand what the role is of a Border Patrol agent if the message from Washington is, hey, catch them, process them, and then let them go into these organizations. They're already spending the money on you guys to try and do the initial enforcement. And then they're just like, yeah, okay, we'll just let them go and do their thing from there on out. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it definitely is a, is a morale killer when you, you can't go and do your, your primary mission. We understand that we're going to have to take care of people in process. I mean, even even a domestic police officer is going to have to do a report, right, when they make an arrest or go right. to a scene. So that's not that's not what we're talking about. When, we're, when our hands are completely tied, when we cannot go out there and do the the – the job that we're expected to do, the American people expects to, I mean, really the fundamental part of government is to protect this nation. And we can't go out there and we leave hundreds of miles vulnerable knowing that this is being played by the cartel. It's really, really crazy. Um, it's it's frustrating. It, it, it was a big kick in the morale. We went from being championed by the administration to being demonized. And, and, and When know, did that start? Well, I think, you know, it started during a campaign. You know, there was a big push. In. Under Biden or even back towards Obama? So, so, well, so Obama, let's go back to Obama. And it's an important because remember, let's go back to Obama, Biden. Yeah. Um, President Obama wanted comprehensive immigration reform. And the Republicans said, we want border security. So Obama said, give me border security and then I'll give you border security. And then you give me the comprehensive immigration reform. So there was a whole, I was in Washington, D.C. during a lot of that time, and it was a lot of back and forths. But it got to the point where we were making progress. We were, uh, President Obama built a lot of wall. But then the Republicans started arguing on, you know, the definition of control. And so that's when President Obama said, you know, I did my part. Fine, I'm going to start doing executive fiat and start writing things. Mm. Um, so that was a lot of catch and release. Um, if you encountered uh, an illegal alien, um, you, you had to let them go. If they had been domiciled, you couldn't bring them in. It was a lot of things that just weren't typical. Um, then comes in president Trump who reversed everything said, no, you guys are heroes and championed us and gave us what we needed. The election during the midterms of Trump began the defund ice defund border patrol. Uh, Biden comes in and reverses everything. And then you had the horse patrol issue in Del Rio. Right. And I think that was really the, the straw right. that broke the camel's back when they alleged that, you know, they were using whips. And of course the whole thing was debunked before it even <laughs> got up to the president but it was an opportunity to to demonize the agents while deflecting from the sixteen and a half thousand people that showed up in three days in Del Rio yeah. and crossed the border illegally. So it was a good good shift to the horse patrol, which was terrible because it was a number one. I was a thousand miles away in Yuma, and I wanted to throw up. Like I can't believe the president said these people will pay. I mean, that's just not how right. this country works. Let, let alone from the president. But that was an iconic picture that you cannot display anymore because it was an agent on horseback 
chaps, cowboy hat, using the split reins to control the horse through the water. The migrant who had just taken food from a family and was running across the river. That's why the agent was intercepting him. Um, only to ha- it was just a beautiful picture, but to have it captured for the wrong reasons is just was disgusting. Yeah. The messaging from the other side, they do very good at uh, they they do a very good job at trying to uh, demonize what they want to demonize, even though it's taken completely out of context. Yes. And it's unfortunate. Got to take a break here. It's Chris Clem, retired uh, chief patrol agent from the Yuma area. We'll talk some more about his experiences and what to expect with this ongoing battle. And you mentioned an interesting point: the difference between immigration policy and border security. Two completely separate things that I don't think a lot of people really kind of tied together right now. So we'll kind of break some of those down when we come back as well. 21 minutes past the hour. we got to take a break here. It's Wichita's Big Talker, KKOAM. It's Candace Talk. Stay right here. Lots more to get to. Welcome back into it. 25 minutes past the hour here. Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. It's Candace Talk. So wonderful to have you with us here. We're hanging out with Chris Clem, retired uh, chief patrol agent from the Yuma area. There's so many stories, and I heard some of those stories while we were down in uh, down in Texas uh, this last summer, which was neat. I'd never been to the border before. I'd never seen any of that. That was a fascinating thing. And uh, the stories that you can tell, I, I can imagine, I've heard some of them that are just unbelievable. You mentioned something in the last segment about the separation between immigration policy and and Border Patrol, because those are two separate entities, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I've been kind of like my big talker is tall fences, wide gates. Yeah. Um, did an op-ed recently that was picked up um, uh, nationally. And was, You know, the tall fences is the border security apparatus, and the wide gates is our lawful pathways to bring in those that we need to bring in, number one, to make our country continue to be prosperous and, and strong economically and everything else. And, of course, you know, to the extent reasonable, those that are, you know, need asylum or fear and persecution. But what happens all too often, especially with our elected officials, is they conflate immigration and border security because everybody wants to tell an immigration story. Everybody says, oh, we're a nation of immigrants. No one's denying that. But we also have congressmen trying to say the one from Florida said this is just like Ellis Island. Well, no. 12 million people over (laughs) 60 years versus 12 million people in three years. Right. Big difference. Right. So what, what I propose and what, in order to get a control of this is we've got to stop the leak. We've got to patch the leak. What this government loves to do is just give you more buckets to bail water out. Right. So I, I advocate for let's secure the border. Let's finish what we started based on what the Border, border Patrol needs, based on what communities need. Um, infrastructure in the form of wall where it makes sense. And I, I, want to, I want to hit this point. Candidate Trump ran on build the wall. Right. President Trump wanted to build the wall and he was talking about from brownsville texas to san diego and it was like wait a second that doesn't make sense border patrol has defined our operating environments into three areas urban rural and remote urban is where people can vanish within seconds to minutes rural is minutes to hours remote is hours to days and there's literally that all across every border state Mm. so we need a wall in the urban areas sometimes double layer wall but we also need the technology the cameras the sensors 
um, the access roads, because there's a lot of places in the border where, you know, you may have access today, but a monsoonal storm comes in and it washes away the road. So we need all weather road access. All that was part of the package right? that was building the wall, but it was a wall system. And so when this administration came in and within the first couple of days and hours, they ended all that. We lost everything besides the, the, the actual steel wall. We lost, we had camera towers that we couldn't plug in. We had light towers that we couldn't plug in. It was ridiculous. So focus on that to secure the border. And then let's look at the, the wide gates, like I refer to as let's clean up our immigration policies because like our non-immigrant work visa quotas were established in the 60s. It's yeah. 2024. If you're a small business owner and you can't find uh, uh, someone in your in your community to employ and you have to go seek a foreign worker, it would take you probably two years, about $10,000, dealing with about four federal agencies. Yeah. And you may not even get those people. Meanwhile, your business is probably going to collapse because you can't get the, the work. So, so we've got to really focus on what the community needs, what the business need, uh, leaders need, what academia may need to better this country. But you can't do it and say, you know, either or. Like, we're going to build a wall or you're going to let more people know. Right. Secure the border. they got to work in tandem here. Yes, yes. You can start, but it starts with filling the gap and slowing the leak right now. Yeah. Well, and like you said, I mean, Donald Trump campaigned on that. The, the You know, the big wall with the big, beautiful doors. And yeah. we got to have the big, beautiful doors. Yeah, it's that we have to work in tandem for these things, which is what Washington, D.C., I guess, is trying kind of sort of to do right now. We'll talk some of that when we come back here with Chris Clem. Right around the corner, it's Candace Talk, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Got to take a break. Lots more to get to. Stay here. Listening to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Yes, indeed you are. Welcome back into it on the home stretch here. Last half hour of the program. Oh, how the time flies right on by. If you want to hear more of what's going on, just give another little plug for this. I'm excited for this event. I'll be out there for a little bit as well before my national program this evening. So we'll be able to at least go out and see some of it. It's the Raise the Nation rally coming up at the Doubletree Hilton Hotel and near the airports. Here in Wichita, begins at 1 p.m. You can see a lot of great speakers, U.S. Senator Roger Marshall, Congressman Ron Estes, of course, uh, individuals and great speakers from our state legislature and the Heritage Foundation and Candace Family Voice, Americans for Prosperity, and, of course, uh, Chief at Clem, who's hanging out in studio with us here. Again, I, I love, finally, finally, there's somebody else that understands the value of metal music. That's right. Because That's right. I, I cannot talk about this with so many other people. I get the glossy look of, like, I don't know that band. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've kind of been, I've been on a, a lot of travel lately, so I, I would try to give you that metal scream, but it's not going to happen today. So I got to go with today. the deep voice. Right. Well, you got to speak today. Yeah, so you got to right. keep, keep it. Yeah. That's right. 316-721-8255. We do have a caller on the line. So let's go ahead and go to that. Good morning. Who's this? Scott. Scott, what's going on, brother? Well, you know, uh, Jackie Robinson, he faced a lot of, racism which is power and prejudice together mm-hmm. in his lifetime and now he has to face it in his death i believe the police have a lot of information on who did that you know they probably had some of their people doing it and they'll never find the person who did that 
and they'll replace the statue, but they'll never find the people who did it. Because, like I said, the police and the Klan go hand in hand. Well, I, I will say, Scott, and I, I appreciate it, I will say that I think, uh, I will have to disagree, I think that we will find them. I don't know if you heard the statement from uh, Chief of Police Joe Sullivan, but he was very stern that they will find it. They already found the truck. They're, they're uh, I guess, looking into whoever owns the truck, and they will find whoever did this one. And, uh, Chris, so for those that don't know, this made national news just this last week, but we had a major statue of Jackie Robinson um, that was in front of one of our baseball fields here where someone in the middle of the night stole the statue. And then they found it, like, burnt and dismantled and destroyed and, like, buried at one of the parks here in town. So the investigation's on on who actually did this. Doesn't make sense why they did it. It's yeah. a really stupid thing to do, but yeah, uh, yeah a little bit ridiculous. So yeah, hopefully they find those people and, and, and realize how ridiculous they are and and put them in jail. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's disruptive. It it's divisive, and that's that's the problem, right? You, you, it's so difficult to trust what's going on out there because you have groups that are purposely trying to you know inflict pain on others. You know that are. You know, just just to create divide because it seems like that sells, and um, yeah. and and it, and it gives people talking points to point the finger. And you know, we need we need we need to fill the divide, not create more of it. And and people like this are just are just trash and, and need to be you know taken care of. It's unfortunate talking about some of the violence and, and division that goes on, and along with the human trafficking, guns, and and drugs, and all that stuff. How influential at the border when you when you were chief there down in Yuma, and you had to deal with a lot of this with these crossings. How influential is the cartel in this situation? Well, look, the the cartel controls everything that comes to the border. Even some of our lawful trade, they have to pay to come to get in the line. Uh, the truck drivers know that they got to pay, but um, no one comes to to the United States through Mexico and uh, entering at the border either you know on foot or through the ports of entry illegally uh, without paying. Uh, the smuggling fees range from when, at least when I was. Chief was five thousand to fifteen thousand, depending on who and where you're coming from and where you wanted to go, and um, and so they're paying that on the front end, uh, on the back end, and then they have people that are literally, you know, uh, we've got video evidence we've seen where they're literally checking names to make sure there's places where they're putting you know wristbands on people to make sure they're accounted for to what organization is going to get compensated for it. So they they completely control everything. And they do it on purpose. It's it's commodity neutral. It's about it's about making money. If they can send two, three hundred, a thousand at a time into one area, saturate that area with border patrol resources and first responder resources, that leaves things wide open. It is their strategy. We've always had this cat and mouse game, but it's never been at this volume like we've seen over the last few years. So wow. yeah, they control everything. They control everything. You've told stories when we were down there. You told a, a few of the stories. Not to get to it's a it's a family show here, yeah. but uh, some of the violence of controlling law enforcement on the other side of the border with Mexico as well, and how uh, they pretty much control who's in charge of that conversation, aren't they? Yeah, you know uh, that was uh, it. Started to kind of resonate with me. Go back to the early, uh, well, late two thousand eight nine. I was in uh, El Paso. I was running a station there. I was a station commander, and we would have monthly meetings with our counterparts uh, from Mexico, Juarez Police Department. And uh, you know, you'd meet a police chief on in January, and then February would be another police chief. And they're <laughs> like, well, it was his head that was in the cooler that was found there. Mm. So they are controlling that. Um, you know, I've got into a, a, a tense uh, argument with somebody before about, you know, failed state. You know, the Mexican people, the people are a are, are beautiful culture. They're God-fearing. They, it's amazing. They, they're yeah. hardworking. It's a beautiful country. But their government in the very you know, a uh, simplest form is controlled by the cartel, which is kind of a failed state when they, those decisions are influenced. Um, 
And we've seen that. And even that argument uh, was, you know, they, they slaughtered 40 people from the opposing party. How does that not a failed state? So, <laughs> so yes, the cartel, cartels influence everything going on over there. But, and look, it, here's the problem. It doesn't stop at our border. They're in every major city in the United States. They're in some of our rural towns. This is the problem where we lose the, because we have a, a lot of empathy in this country and we want to help others. I mean, that is that is a great trait. We don't want to lose that. But some of these people have taken advantage of that and they bring it they're, they're purposely bringing in family units so they can reconnect in some of these people. And that's how they kind of get their tentacles in. The cartel's controlling that. And yeah. then people have to pay off that debt and they do it uh, to the cartel. And, and I mean, again, there, there's there's a lot more experts on cartel and trafficking than me. But I can just tell you, I saw it on the front end and, and, and we've missed a lot. And there's a lot of it impacting, you know, every every, every major city and town in, in the country. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I say it all the time on the air here. We have our sister station, La Raza. That's our Spanish station. My program director, our salesperson, they're all they had their green cards are from Mexico. They've yeah. seen it. And they've told me uh, we've had callers call into their programs multiple times. Talk about how. You know, they're predominantly conservative with their social values, with their family units, with everything. And they don't want the open borders because they got away from the cartels. They wanted to get away from that garbage. They don't want to see that stuff come back up here because where else are they going to go again? You know, they want to get rid of that stuff. And I think the Hispanic community is calling out just as much and just as frustrated with Democrats on this issue and just the country in general on why aren't we doing something about this problem with the cartels coming in. You're seeing that, especially in Texas. Uh, some of the uh, predominantly Democratic districts have have lost some uh, uh, positions over time because the you know truly Mexican national or Mexican-Americans, first generation, um, exactly what you just said. Look, they earned this. They came over here, did it the right way. There's there's a bond. There's a relationship with the southern part of the United States and Mexico, and that's what we want. Right. But we cannot have you know nowhere else in this country can you jump in front of the line and, and not have a consequence or repercussions. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine doing that at, at, at a Taylor Swift concert, just saying I'm just going to run right in front. I'm not paying a thousand bucks for a ticket. I want the front row. You'd be escorted out very quickly. Yeah. What if you did that at the Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs and said I'm going to go I'm going to go to Legion Field. I want a 50 yard line. I'm getting in front of the line. You'd be escorted out quicker than you could say Kansas City Chiefs. That's right. So why do we do that with immigration? And I think that the 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 people that did it the right way, people that have been waiting years for visas, are going. This doesn't make sense. I should just cheat and come across, and at least I'll maybe three, four, seven years before I get my hearing. Yeah. They don't want to do that because they know that's not the right thing. It's not sustainable. It's a sad. It's a sad state of affairs because you know um, we've got we've got to really take it back. Uh, at the ground level and start rallying cages, you know, to hold our elected officials accountable and hopefully to resonate somewhere in D.C. I mean, I got to be optimistic because uh, uh, without that, you know, we're, we're going to sink quicker than we already are. Yeah. You mentioned morality from law, uh, from Border Patrol, and obviously you struggled with it. Uh, so many others struggle with it. We hear about the frustration from them all the time, not getting the resources, not getting mixed signals from Washington, D.C., uh, do you think a lot of people are ready to walk or they're just frustrated, they're done with it, or do they realize how important this is and they just keep on banging their head against the wall every day? It's a little bit of all of it, right? So uh, in the federal government, you have a 20 or 25-year retirement plan, depending on your age. And, you know, it's it's if you reach 50, you can retire with 20 years in or any age after 25, um, but mandatory at 57. So I could have gone six more years when I retired. I had 27 years in. Um, I had made a commitment that I was going to give my two years as chief and then 
reassess. And when I saw that things were just, you know, the circle in the drain, I'm like, you know, I don't want to be part of this. Um, but there's a lot of people there that are, are retiring before they're mandatory that have hit their 20 or hit their 25 mark and good people uh, because the, the law enforcement profession has taken a hit, you know, just different, you know, BLM riots, all that kind of stuff. And again, um, there was some legitimate bad stuff that happened, right? And those officers deserved what they got. Right. There's a lot of stuff that was just camera angles, like we talked about earlier, uh, that just created this this problem. And we really need to focus on retention and recruiting the right people because if we start, if everybody's just showing up for a job and give and throwing their hands up, if you think law enforcement is having troubles now, what happens when you start recruiting and retaining the bad people, the ones that don't care, that are just showing up for a job? It's going to make it that much more difficult. And so Border Patrol was not immune to that. Um, they, they, they saw the horrors that was happening on the trafficking side and nothing being done to stop it. You know, uh, you know, uh, we'll follow up an investigation, but it, it was, it, 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 it took a toll. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ever say that <clears throat> the, the border problem under this administration was the contributing factor to the, the highest levels of suicide. Well, or the, the factor, but when you've got problems at home, whether it's emotional, physical, uh, uh, relationship things, uh, uh, financial, and then work is just not happy and it's not what you signed up for. It just becomes a compounding problem. And unfortunately, we had a lot of suicides uh, in 22. I think we had a record high. We lost one there in Yuma, my, one of my staffers. Um, guy was a Marine, Golden Glove boxer, had been in 20 years as a board trade. It was just mm. a hard worker. And that really hit home um, because, you know, we had ever thought. Yeah. And so the mental health resiliency piece is critical, especially when you're you're, you don't have the satisfaction and the support from the administration. So we got we got to continue to invest in our law enforcement and invest in our Border Patrol agents because you want them clear thinking, ready to go, ready to respond, not worrying about are they going to be second guessed? Are they going to be told by the president you're going to pay? You know, you need them to have their head right. And so um, that's another area that we've been focusing on. Uh, and I continue to do that since I've retired is to make sure that we're uh, supporting our border patrol agents uh, down there, uh, uh, holding yeah. the line. Yeah, you've been working on that with uh, with different organizations, working with actual you know rock bands as well, trying to yep. work on different groups, trying to help with mental health for these border patrol agents. So I yep. commend you for that. That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. We're, we're sports legends supporting border heroes is one of the things that we are. We're we're almost there. We're crawling. We're about to stand up with the with the nonprofit status, so we can uh, get these uh, 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 veteran and legend uh, sports heroes to come down there, take pictures, speak to them. Um, I've made uh, multiple trips this last year. We've had people like Brian Erlacher, Nick Lowry, uh, Randy Grimes, Dan Pastorini, Mike Barber, a lot of these legends, right, yeah. that, are, that are there with a voice and a platform to say, we need to secure a border. We need to take care of our border trades, you know. Uh, and so I'm happy to be part of that and, and, and moving forward. It sounds like there's a lot of celebrities that uh, may not get a lot of media attention or recognition, but they actually see what's going on. They're not for the liberal Hollywood open border policy, the progressive wokeness that's going on. Like they, they, they know what's going on, and it's good to hear. Yeah, you know, I think what it is is there's so much misinformation out there, and so uh, and and sound bites, and and you hear it coming right out of the press secretary sometimes. I mean, like they're trying to play, you know, the uh, Texas versus the Border Patrol, when the reality is, is it couldn't be further <laughs> from the truth down there. Um, you know, uh, the border patrol agents like in Texas, especially with the whole Governor Abbott and, and, and President Biden battle back and forth on states' rights and, and the, the wire situation, uh, those agents down there are working side by side with those troopers, those guardsmen, those deputies. We've been doing that forever yeah. since our existence. We're almost 100 years old this May, and we have gotten along and worked well with our military and our guard and our state and locals. Those guys aren't uh, – they all want no, – nobody wants to be in the political quagmire that it is. They just want to do their job. Um, 
but uh, you know, I, I was actually uh, actually glad that this is is, is being talked about like this. Um, you know, at some point. The, the levy's got to break, right? Exactly. And, we got we got to do it, and we're seeing yeah. the states to stand up. We were talking about Kansas here. Our Republican legislature, right out of the gate, supported it and said that uh, our Attorney General Chris Kobach, along with twenty five, twenty six other Attorney Generals, sent that letter to the Biden administration. We stand with Texas; they have the right to do this, since you're not obviously doing your damn job. Uh, then our Democrat governor was like, "Well, you know, we'll just send National Guard if Biden tells us to go do so under the president's order, not under yeah. you know the order of the states." So uh, we have kind of the the quagmire in Kansas as well with our governor that uh, doesn't want to stand with Texas, but. Uh, I think it's overwhelming among our legislature, our attorney general, and most of Kansas. I think that's like, yeah, we got to we got to do something. This is coming to a head, and we have to figure this out. Well, I mean, if nothing more, I mean, it's that whole laugh now, cry later mindset. Look, if if today it may not be a problem with in Kansas thinking the state's rights, but something could change. You're exactly. like, no, wait a second, we have the right to govern our people, and then oh, if we don't support it, you know, then you have a president. That's why you know I've got I have some difference in opinion with people on this latest Supreme Court ruling about. Uh, it wasn't Texas uh, can't put razor wire up. It was the Border Patrol can cut the razor wire to do their job. Yeah. It, and it, it's because they have the federal responsibility to secure the border, which basically says it's Joe Biden and this administration's responsibility. So, you know what? If the administration changes and they want to start building wall all the way across the southern border again, I don't want to hear states complaining and saying, oh, you can't. Do it. No, you laugh now. Yeah. Biden won. You'll be crying later if somebody comes in and starts building a wall across New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Exactly. Well, I find it ironic that states of California and Chicago and New York can all say that they're sanctuary states and sanctuary areas. But when Texas is like, yeah, we're not going to allow this anymore, then uh, all of a sudden we have a problem with the state making their own decision. Yeah. Got to take one more break here. It's Chris Clem, the retired chief uh, Border Patrol agent, coming up speaking at the event today. If you still want to go to it, you have the opportunity to raise the nation rally, America, uh, Kansas Family Voice and Americans for Prosperity partnering with this great event at 1 o'clock today. We'll do one more segment around the corner right here on Kansas Talk, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Appliance is your locally family-owned and trusted appliance repair professional in Wichita. We provide fast, friendly, and reputable repair on appliances big or small. Call Napoleon today, 316-409-1525. That's 316-409-1525. Napoleon Appliance, repair, integrity, and community. Welcome back into it. Got a couple minutes left here of the program. Boy, how it flies right on by. Make sure to tune in to the syndicated episode of The Voice of Reason here on KQAM tomorrow, 5 p.m. Also, our friends out in Garden City, KIUL, also at 5 p.m. there. Got a lot of great conversation. We will kind of replay part of this conversation with the ongoing debate about the immigration bill in D.C., which I want to wrap up and ask you with, Chris, is your thoughts on this bill. We don't have a lot of detail on this right now, but we're hearing anything from uh, Biden says, I have to get this passed in order for me to have the ability to shut down the border when I think that it's uh, over, you know, and out of hand and and uh, ridiculous. We hear something about like allowing 5,000 illegals in a day before we actually start doing any type of enforcement. Like these numbers are ridiculous. And it seems like this, I, I, again, whether these are real or not, we don't know because we haven't seen the details of the bill, but it seems like there's a bunch of weirdness going on here. 
Well, that sums up everything coming out of Washington, a bunch of weirdness, <laughs> right? Um, I, I, I agree. We haven't seen the text of the bill. We've been, we've been teased with bits and pieces and numbers. But let's start with the president first. He has the authority. Yeah, right, right? now. The laws are there. Uh, they're, they're working on a continu- uh, an ongoing continued resolution so they can spend at the same levels from last year. Um, that is pure deflection. It's not me. It's them, right? Uh, it's not me. It's you. Um, he had the authority to unravel everything uh, in January of 21. He has the authority. Look, the Migrant Protection Protocol, it's codified. Do it. Yeah. And 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 the Supreme Court has ruled that they can do the priorities. They can, He has the authority. Do not fall for that. And I don't think most people are. Right. Um, second, any bill that Congress puts forth that says it's okay – for X number of people to enter illegally, basically break the law under 8 U.S.C. 1325, which has been a law since 1927, was a criminal code since 29, um, is embarrassing to that body of Congress. We're It's okay to for 3,000 or 5,000 people to break the law. Then we're going to st- shut it down. Yeah, It should be zero. Now, if they want to do some things as far as numbers and paroles and using that CBP-1 app, you know, that's fine. But to sit there and say, well, we're not going to take it serious till like we're not going to shut it down till we hit 5,000 a day. That's insane. Um, that is insane. And it's unfair uh, to the American people. It's unfair to the communities because that's that's 150,000 people a month that we're going to let in. And, you know, I, I didn't see anything in the leaks that say quadruple the number of deportation flights putting all the judges down there at the border and, and, and immediately arraigning them and, and, and determining uh, asylum validity or not. Yeah. And see anything about expanding detention facilities. You know, what I see is mandatory detention for single adults. Okay. Well, how long, you know, until that he says, Oh, my wife came in and in, in, in South Texas and was released. So, okay, you got a family reunification. See, there's so many things. Remember, they're drinking water out of toilets. Too. Well, yeah, yeah uh, that was, <laughs> look, I was in El Paso as a deputy chief when that occurred, I had taken the tour at another station, I was not there when AOC and the squad members did all that. But let me tell you something. Every tour after that, I drank more water out of that fountain <laughs> than I could ever imagine. That's probably why, I, you know, other than a cough every once in a while, I'm pretty immune because— That's right. And by the way, it was a, it was a water fountain. It was a water fountain. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. But again, that's, yeah. again, the optics. That's the messaging <laughs> yeah. that they have, and it's ridiculous. Yeah. It is Chris Glenn, retired Border Patrol chief agent. Uh, he's going to be speaking at the Raise the Nation rally coming up this afternoon. Chris, welcome to Wichita, my friend. It's so good to get you in here. I love chatting with you, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me in, and well, let's let's do it again. Oh, we'll be doing it again here. I always love getting you on the national show and others, so had to get you in here when you were in the city of Wichita as well. If you want to go to the event, it's starting at 1 p.m., the Doubletree Hilton Hotel. You can go and check it out with all the great speakers, including Chris, on more of the experience and the stories that he has as well. Until then, we're back at it again next weekend. For Candace Talk, we have the syndicated program, plus the voice reason on Monday, live at 4 p.m. as well here on KQAM. Everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy some of the moisture that we're getting here across Kansas. And we'll see you next weekend for some more updates from the legislative session and so much more. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is Candace Talk. We'll see you on the radio.